Welcome back to the Revelation On Demand podcast, the podcast dedicated to bringing you Revelation from the Bible. I'm your host, Justin D. Myers, and it looks like it's just you and me again today, listener. Uh, not exactly sure where Chris went. He kind of disappeared on me again, so I don't know how to handle this, to be honest. I, I really like Chris, and I really like what he brings to this podcast. You know, I really appreciate what he does. So... I, you know, want to hold out hope for him. Hope he comes back again. Maybe, maybe he's dealing with some stuff that's just not, not the greatest right now. So, uh, keep him in your prayers, guys. I keep him in my prayers on a regular basis, you know, prayer for him to come back. Uh, we're going to keep, keep on keeping on because I told you guys I'm going to do this for at least seven years. So we're going to keep going. So sorry about that latest release. It seems like whenever I do this on my own, sometimes there's something that comes up. I uh, I set everything up to publish and whatnot, and it was all set up to do and release automatically on Sunday after I got done recording. Unfortunately, my like validation between my uh, the program that you know edits everything and levels everything out for me in the in Podbean, which is the main host for our podcast, the accreditation on that had gone out, which goes out every couple months. So just happened to be that time, and I didn't catch it until uh, the next day. Which my bad. I'm sorry about that, guys. I'm really gonna do my best to make sure this gets out to you on Sunday mornings, uh, no matter what that ends up looking like. You know, so maybe maybe with a new co-host or something like that depends on what happens maybe we'd change what what day we release but right now we're going to continue on releasing every other sunday so and then a little bit of update on my family we have uh, our fifth child on the way his name is owen micah and i kind of mentioned that today because we're going to be talking a little bit about micah when we talk about <clears throat> uh, some of the prophecies we're going over in today's episode so he is named Micah, because Micah means who is like God. And that's kind of like a rhetorical question. Not saying he is like God, but saying like, who is there that is like God? So uh, just wanted to update you guys on that. I think we're going to be done at number five. Uh, we're both looking at making this the final, the final child in our family and focusing on, you know, getting all our kids to adulthood in one piece, which can be a challenge sometimes as any of you who our parents out there may know. Another thing about not having Chris here is that he tends to have his ear to the ground on what's going on in the world more than I do. So uh, I don't really have anything to say on what's going on in the world right now because uh, I really don't know what's going on in the world, to be fair. Uh, still praying for Ukraine and all the stuff that's going on there. And of course, for all the stuff that goes on in America on a daily basis. That's stuff that I constantly am thinking about and praying about. So I hope that you guys are too, as our listeners. So last time we started into the big beefy book known as Isaiah. And uh, we decided that we were going to just take this one chapter at a time like we normally do and kind of dissect some of the more churchy, or more complicated language out of it and see exactly what it's talking about. And also focus on that prophecy and, and future kind of eschatology that we like to focus on, you know, the spiritual stuff, the prophecy stuff, the future stuff. That's what we like to really dig into. So Isaiah being a prophet means that he talks a lot about <clears throat> things in the future. 
So today we're going to be going into Isaiah chapter 2. So the prophecy at the very beginning of this shares resemblance to Micah 4. 4, 1 through 3, and it says this, And it will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as chief of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills, and the peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come and let us go up on the mountain of the Lord, into the house of God of Jacob, that he may teach us about his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For from Zion will go forth the law, even the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he will judge between many peoples and render decisions for mighty distant nations. Then they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they train for war. So right off the bat, we're going to see Isaiah quote this, or uh, say this similar sort of prophecy here, where it's talking about the end days when creation is remade and all the nations will be coming to what is new Jerusalem and there will be no need for war. So all the machinery will be all the weapons and everything that are made for war will be hammered out into or changed over into basically farming equipment, which could be very interesting depending on what level of technology that is when it, when it happens. The similarity between the two, prophecies here between Isaiah and Micah, maybe because they operated in times very close to each other. And one of them could be very well quoting the other, depending on when one had said it, or if the other one had heard the other say it. And again, there these pro- there are a lot of these major prophets worked around the same time, this time when Babylon was really harassing Israel. And again, as we studied in Daniel, it's that time when Babylon took people from Israel and was taking over Israel and had a basically a puppet state. Now prophets, as we know, are messengers for God, and as messengers for kings would travel to other kingdoms and deliver messages on behalf of that king, prophets serve the same role for God. So anytime that a prophet brings a message from God, we can say that that he is speaking on God's behalf. And it's very much in the same manner as if a messenger came from another kingdom and spoke on behalf of, of a king at that time, he would have that same sort of uh, gravitas to whatever he says. Now, it's not the king himself speaking, but it's as if the king was speaking. So whenever we hear the prophets talk, uh, we need to keep in mind that these should be the words that he is bringing us from God. So starting in at chapter 2, this is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the last days. The mountains of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle our disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. The day of you, excuse me, I'm reading subtitles. You, Lord, have abandoned your people, the descendants of Jacob. They are full of superstitions from the east. They practice divination like the Philistines. 
and embrace pagan customs. Their land is full of silver and gold. There is no end to their treasures. Their land is full of horses. There is no end to their chariots. Their land is full of idols. They bound down to the works of their hands, to what their fingers have made, so that people will be brought low and everyone humbled. Do not forgive them. Go into the rocks, hide in the ground from the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty. The eyes of the arrogant will be humbled and the human pride brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. So I guess I could have given you a little bit of a warning. We're going to do two sections today. So they're pretty beefy sections. So right at the beginning here, he's talking about the future days. And this is more than likely talking about the second coming as we know it, or the day of the Lord, this, this final recreation time. Now, sometimes when prophets say that, they could be indicating of the immediate future, but more often than not, when they say future days or the day of the Lord, they're talking about that far off end time when recreation comes back together. Now, the mountain, the house of Yahweh is another name for Zion. And it's often, as we'll see, especially when we start talking about other gods and, and Baal and stuff like this, that this is imagery of where the high place is the place that you can get closest to the heavens, the closest to the other realm, the closest to the spiritual realm. So God and his followers was establishing this, this high place, this place where the heaven and earth touch. This is the place where you can come meet me. So this is very much going to affect later on other worshiping God or like other groups that are worshiping gods that are in similar manners. So we'll see how God is basically flexing on these people. Like you think you do that, but I'm really the one who does that. So, so in the minds of the ancient Zion, this place, this high place where earth and heaven combined, this is the place where all worshipers, all followers of God would, would want to be in. This is the, the place to be. And then we see that even though Judah has turned away, that they are still going to, in the future, there's going to be other nations coming in. There's going to be other other people eagerly seeking out God's teaching, God's law, and to see these, these other people, even though the people that God had chosen had failed and decided to turn away from them, we're going to see other peoples and other nations come in to fill that void. So in Canaanite belief, there's this God named Baal, B-A-A-L. And this, this God was very much a king of the gods sort of mythos as we if you're thinking of more or more popular sort of beliefs you're thinking of like uh Odin or uh Zeus Pluto or not Pluto jeez Jupiter Zeus and Jupiter these kind of king of the gods gods these gods of gods you know like this 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 ringleader of the gods sort of thing like he's the head honcho of all the gods so very much uh whenever they are invoking imagery that is similar to what Baal would have used in his worship practices and in his mythos and all that. Then this is God saying, you guys got the wrong King God. I am the true King God. And, and not in a way that, that they would understand as a King God, kind of like Odin or, or Zeus would, would function, not this kind of like ruling patriarch, but being so much higher. We've talked about this before where God's on such another power level compared to these quote unquote gods 
of of these lesser deities, these daemons, these these creations that he created. Like they they are all created by him for a certain purpose, and some of them have corrupted that purpose. And I very much believe that one of these uh, king god sort of things is is probably one of these these. Uh, parts of satan or the satan that he wants to be the ultimate god or the king god and we see that god just completely snuffs out these religions and says yeah no your your god is a sham i am the one who is the one the 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 lord king of all you know so we see that Isaiah is talking about the New Jerusalem where he's talking about how this the mountain of God will be the center of the universe. This will be where the New Jerusalem is. This is where all nations will come in. This will be where the, the final city is is created. And this is where, you know, this mountain will be the center of international justice. So, like, everyone will come to New Jerusalem to bow before the king and have their plights heard or whatever it is at the end days. And this is where uh, justice and judgment will be carried out. And as we move into more of this, this chapter, we see that it moves from this looking at the future, looking at what could happen, what, what we should be looking forward to, to you guys have failed. And he's talking about you guys as in Judah, the people in Israel at the time of his, his uh, running around and being a prophet, you guys have failed and you're going to suffer the consequences for it. And even then he's still calling for them to repent. Now at this time, Judah was always surrounded by enemy nations or, or nations that would always look for ways to abuse them or go to war with them. So Judah would, excuse me, would always have a standing army. So when we see this, this imagery of when this new nation is formed, this new kingdom comes and, and all the nations are coming in and there's peace on earth. And all of a sudden everyone who has weapons are, you know, beating their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And this is very much as I was talking about earlier, when we were talking about my Micah's vision, that it was a time it would be a time where they're taking all these weapons of war all these things used for destruction and death and in fighting and then they'd be turning them into these tools that were used for creating for sustaining life for creating new life for plowing up the ground for creating new soil stuff like that so we very much see that for judah this this nation to be under constant state of, we must be ready to fight. We must be ready to defend ourselves. We must be ready to go to war for them to be told you yourselves, even though you care so much about these weapons at this time, you will beat these into tools of creation instead of tools of destruction. And this is, this is only something I see for coming at the end times when there's the recreation and there is no need for violence and there is is no need for like, because if we remember from Revelation, when everything starts going down, there's massive violence, there's extreme violence. So for this to happen, this would have to be after that, when after the, the final purging of all the sin in the world and all the holy war is over and God has wiped the earth clean of all sin, it would have to be after that. It would have to be after that process. Pride is one of the big sins that comes up over and over again in this. And we hear pride of Jacob, pride of 
you know, Judah, we, we hear this over and over again. This is one of the main sins that Isaiah is constantly harping on. Is it, And when he says pride, it's not like saying, oh, I'm proud of what I did. I'm proud of, you know, what I've achieved. That's not the kind of pride he's talking about. He's pr- talking about pride in, I can take care of myself. I can, I rely on myself. I can do this. I can make it anywhere I want in the world in this sort of self-reliance sort of pride. You know, this, this, this feeling like I don't need God because I can do it sort of thing. This is the kind of pride he's talking about. And at the time of this recreation of Yahweh's coming, all those things that everyone is reliable on every, or, you know, relying on that everyone has pride in all these things will be taken away and, and just, destroyed and and removed from the world and all that will remain is God and anyone who remains true to him will, will remain in that. So when people forsake God, he forsakes them. We see this several times in the Bible. We see the, the gospel talk about it where, you know, those who defend my name, I will defend them. And those who forsake my name, I will forsake them. And again, here we see Isaiah talking about it. And then we move into more of the magic and stuff like this, where the the Philistines at the time, they were big on reading signs and omens and other natural phenomena to tell the future. So they're basically trying to see the future through the things around them or, or using magics and stuff like that. And as we know, the covenant Israel had made with God strictly forbid the use of this sort of ritualistic magic that would be used to, you know, divine the future or to read the stars and tell you what the future is sort of thing. So very much, this is one of the things that uh, Israel or Judah at the time was starting to do because the Philistines, one of their closest neighbors are really big on this sort of uh, divine sort of divination and witchcraft sort of stuff. And here we see, Isaiah talking a little bit again about that covenant and bringing up some of that legal language we talked about in the very first chapter, where he's once again making this as a legal claim against the people of Israel. So they broke the covenant. He's making you know the case against them. So Judah had turned to worshiping idols and hands of wood, or made by hands, idols made by hands of wood and stone sort of things. So we see that very much... This is a non-repentant people who are trying to find other ways to go about doing things and not following the one true God that they had agreed to follow in the first place. And it would seem that possibly the time for repentance has passed at this point and that all that's left is the coming judgment. So as we continue on in verse 12, we will see exactly what Isaiah has to say. Verse 12. The Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty, for all that is exalted, and they will be humbled. For all the cedars of Lebanon, tall and lofty, and all the oaks of Bashan. For all the towering mountains, and all the high hills. For every lofty tower, for every fortified wall, for every trading ship, for every stately vessel, the arrogance of man will be brought low, and human pride humbled. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day, and the idols will totally disappear. People will feel, flee to caves in the rocks and to holes in the ground from the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty when he rises to shake the earth. In that day, people will throw away, the mole, throw away to the moles and bats their idols of silver and idols of gold. 
which they made to worship. They will flee to the caverns in the rocks and to the overhanging crags from the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty when he rises to shake the earth. Stop trusting in mere humans who have but a breath in their nostrils. Why hold them in esteem? You know, I'm starting to realize that the prophets really aren't cheery guys. Uh, you know, whenever they're talking about the end, the end times and, you know, the future coming to Jerusalem and how great things will be, that's always, you know, things that are wonderful to read about. But for the most part, they're pretty, pretty down on the world. And um, I can see why this is hard to read, especially for some people who already see things in the world as being down as already. It's like, why would I pile on top of this? Like, give me something positive to focus on. And I got to admit, without the darkness, the light isn't as bright. So even though that this is hard to read, this is hard to go over. It's hard to, you know, always apply to our lives. Cause he is talking to a very specific group of people in a very specific time. And that can be really hard to pull what we should be, hearing from this. Uh, there's a lot to learn from when studying other people, but it can be really hard for us to, to apply that, you know, to, uh, closer to 3000 years later. So what I, seeing how dark and how upsetting some of this is, I think it makes whenever we look at the future times, whenever we look at, the time of the coming Christ, those things are so much brighter in comparison, especially when we've seen so much darkness, especially when we see how people have failed over and over and over again. It gives us an idea, it, it, you know, it gives us an idea of what we should and shouldn't do. It gives us kind of a roadmap, kind of a path to follow. And that shining beacon on the hill is that that goal, that new Jerusalem, that place that we will go, the place we will be at rest, the place we will be made whole. That is the shining beacon on the hill. And it's made all the brighter for all the darkness in the world and all the darkness that we have to study and all the dark things that we have to go over whenever we study stuff like this. So it's just something I was thinking about as I was reading that. So we go back to this defining humanity of or uh, defining sin of humanity is pride and thinking we can do anything in our own power. And again, we hear him talking about these nine examples of either natural or man-made things that man himself tends to lift up instead, kind of where, where we get some of this this other deity worship, this other pagan kind of worship where they start worshiping uh, nature and stuff like that. So the cedars of Lebanon and the trees of Bashan are mentioned many times throughout the Bible because these two areas were the prime place for some of the most sought after lumber in all of the Middle East. So whenever you hear about this, this is like the highest quality lumber in the area. So they would take pride in this. They would take pride. We have the best lumber around. We have the strongest trees. We make the best boats. We, you know, all these things was like, you know, we have the best. And when we do stuff like that, we can tend to put pride in that. We can tend to put you know, arrogance in that. We can say, oh, well, I am doing so good for myself because I am harvesting these trees and making a killing. I don't need God. And that's kind of where one, one of these examples of that when man puts things before God. 
then he goes to mountains and hills. So as we've talked many times, high places, hills, mountaintops, and stuff like this are supposed to be areas where you get closer to the the other realm, the closer to the spiritual realm, closer to God sort of thing. So again, this is places other other religions would do it. They would have holy places and high places because again, this is this common feeling that those in those places that is where you're closest to the next realm or God or whatever you're talking about. So again, this is another thing. And these are natural. These aren't man-made. But there's times when people put the holy places so far beyond God that they become an idol in themselves. Then we have towers and walls. These things are man-made. These things are built to defend humans. These things are built to keep people safe, just like we are supposed to, you know, feel safe in God's presence or feel safe, you know, in God's arms sort of thing. And again, this is a physical thing where people would build walls around their cities to protect themselves. And then, you know, if someone got really, really started idolizing protection and defense and stuff, they would go crazy. They build the walls really big and really thick and really strong. And they'd say, nobody can strike down these walls. And then you have an issue like Jericho where God's people just march around your city for seven days and all of a sudden your walls fall down. And then at the end of this, as always, Isaiah is constantly coming back to how God is, you know, the ultimate, the Holy One. He will always be exalted over all things. And in Isaiah's mind, he always exalts God over all things. And it's something that we should strive to do. We should strive to always honor God over all things. Because in the end, in the end times, when all the cities are laid to waste, when all of the things man-made have been washed away by the recreation, God alone will stay and exalted. And we look forward to that day. Whoops, I missed a point. Uh, the ships, the ships, yes. So this is, in some translations, it talks about the ships of Tarshish. But anyways, there's these, Tarshish was known for building these, these large fleets of trading vessels, which haul goods like the Cedars of Lebanon around the Mediterranean, around the Middle East, and they'd make a lot of money. So again, this would be like merchants and stuff like that, you know, saying, I make so much money doing this. I take care of myself. I, I, you know, provide for the people around me. I protect the people around me because of all the wealth I create doing these things with these ships again. This is one of those things man takes pride in, man takes too much pride in, and it will be ashes in the end. And then again, we hear this talking about fleeing to the, the caves and the crags and the dark places, and then tossing down the idols in those places. And those places are known for, I think it says, bats and rats will, will find them. And again, this is the people who have not repented. These are the, the sinful people who, in the presence of the Lord, will flee because any sin in the presence of the Lord is is just destroyed and washed away. So if you are a sinful person, if you're unrepentant, and then the Lord comes into your presence, then you can you will you'll want to flee. So and as we'll see, uh one of the more famous things in Isaiah when we get to his little vision of when he enters the throne room, even a man as Isaiah, you know, this prophet who is speaking for God, when he enters the throne room, he wants to run away. He wants to, you know, you know, he, and he's a pretty upstanding guy by most people's standards. Like he would be far 
more pious than me, even for that example. So when, when I see someone like this, he like, he's wanting to run away because he thinks he's still, you know, stained with sin. Then that makes me, that just humbles me. Like if this man who would have been a prophet, a, a mouthpiece for God, you know, speaking for God still felt like he wasn't worthy enough to be in God's presence, then I should feel so much, you know, more so. Now, unlike Isaiah, I have a little bit of inside baseball knowledge that Jesus came and died for my sins. So his, you know, he's, his suffering, his sacrifice covers my sins. So in that, that would be the only reason I'd feel comfortable and not, you know, ready to be zapped as some people would, would put it, you know, thinking about it. I, whenever I was an atheist and whatnot, I would I would always have this unreasonable fear of I'll walk into a church and just burst into flame, right? You know, um, of course I could walk into churches. I'd done it many times before as an atheist and you know not believer in God, and God never smote me. But there was always this nagging at the back of my mind, like if I go into this place irreverently, you know, and misbehave in 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 some way or or just don't show the correct amount of reverence, I could literally burst into flame. And that, like as irrational as it felt to an atheist at the time, you know, in, in being rational, I still had that nagging in the back of my mind, like, yeah, it could happen though, you know? So now that I am in Christ and stuff like that, I feel far more comfortable in the presence of the Lord or in, in churches and stuff like that. So, I don't have that nagging fear anymore because I know I'm covered at this point, but it's just one of those things that comes up when we talk about Isaiah and when we talk about just uh, being worthy to be in the presence of the Lord. Uh, if you ever feel like you're not worthy and you've given your life to Christ, then I have good news for you. You will be, you'll be fine in the presence of the Lord. You won't be, you know, blown away or, or uh, incinerated. So ending it out, we have, you know, people fleeing, they're throwing away their idols, they're hiding, they're running away from God. And then we see Isaiah ask God to turn away from the unrepentant Judah, like just just leave them be, let them let them go, you know, let them receive the judgment that they're going to get. Um don't don't continue reaching out to them. And we see this, we see this many times with prophets that when when they're preaching or excuse me, when they're bringing a message to people who are unrepentant and need to repent and stuff like this. And they've done these terrible things. We talk about, you know, abusing each other and, and not taking care of each other and using, you know, the, the temple funds incorrectly and stuff like that. Whenever we, we see this, the prophets tend to get so righteously angry about these things that you will hear the prophets themselves, you know, plead to God excuse me, plead to God, kind of like Jonah, like, Hey, don't, don't, don't give them any, you know, grace. Don't, don't give them any, like give them the vengeance they need. Like give them justice. Like don't give them mercy, give them justice. And we see that with, with prophets like Jonah. It's like, I am so angry with you right now. You need to punish them for their bad behavior, you know, and they, they just don't want to forgive. But I think in this case where Isaiah is saying, you know, Lord, go ahead, turn away, walk away from these people. Uh, 
he realizes that these people will not repent, even with his message of saying, Hey, wake up guys. It's coming. Like you're going to be taken over by these evil people and you're going to be, you know, taken out by God himself, basically. And we just see that at the end of this, it's really a sad note. We see that he's giving up on Judah, you know, and as we'll go into the other chapters, it's, it does get better in places, but often when he's talking about Judah at this time, there is not enough people to be repentant, to turn back to God that Isaiah is holding out that much hope. And right there at the end, he says, stop trusting in mere humans who have but a breath in their nostrils. Why hold them in esteem? It's just, it's kind of a very negative note to go out on, but it's its definitely a somber and sober reminder that we can't really put our faith in people. We can only put our faith in the Lord because only he will always be there for us. When we make when we put trust into people, there's always that chance that people will break that trust in, you know, 90, 70% of the time they'll come through for us. You know, maybe if you have some really nasty people around you, it'll be less than that. But the only being that comes through for us a hundred percent of the time is God. And he's the only one we should put our faith in a hundred percent fully ready to give everything to him and do as he says. And then as a takeaway for today, we must stay in Christ no matter what the world around us does, always serving for what brings glory to God. And just always looking to glorify God, always looking to work with God in whatever we do, always looking to help the people around us as the best we can, and knowing that even if everyone around us is being nasty and evil, we should have the courage because we are with God to do the right thing, to do the good thing, to do the loving thing, even if everyone around us wouldn't do the same thing. Thank you for listening to Revelation On Demand podcast. Please like, share, and subscribe wherever you catch podcasts from. Please, if you like what we're doing, share this with a friend, family member, or someone from your church. It's a completely private venture and we receive no funding from any sources. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns, please feel free to contact us at revelationondemand at gmail.com. God bless and see you next time.